Hello, and welcome to the Legal Helm podcast. In this insightful episode of the Legal Helm, Helm 360's customer service manager, Kieran Gill, and executive VP, Bim Dave, discuss Elite 3E performance testing and why it's a must-do for your firm. Bim also shares DIY tips on how firms can do some basic troubleshooting on their own to diagnose underperforming 3E systems. We hope you enjoy the show. We're really excited to be here with Bim Dave to talk about how to get optimal performance out of your Elite 3E system. I'm Kieran Gill. I'm one of the customer success managers at Helm 360 based out of the UK office. Um, Bim, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Kieran. It's nice to be talking to you today about this topic. Um, For those of you that don't know me, I'm Bim. I'm the EVP at Helm 360. Uh, My background is largely working in the legal arena. I actually started out my journey on the support desk at Thomson Reuters. Today, we're going to be talking about 3E performance and the metrics that you can look at and monitor to help get the best out of the system. When it comes to 3E performance, what do we need to be considering? Whenever I'm thinking about 3E performance, there's really four key areas. The obvious one is your infrastructure. By that, I mean the servers, the workstations, the browser, all of the elements that form part of your hardware layer that are going to be really housing the 3E infrastructure, right? Those components can obviously have, have, a, have a bearing on, on performance. Then you've got the core application layer, which is really the 3E product and anything else on top of it. That's the third part that we need to kind of consider, which is the customization layer, which is not just focused around 3E customizations specifically, but all of the customizations that could be associated with it, which flows into integrations and downstream and upstream systems that 3E might be talking to. So it's really those four key areas, infrastructure, core 3E product and its lo- and the logic that it uses, then customizations and then integrations. When you think about customizations, it's really focused around two key parts. One of them is the data, because when you think about 3e and implementing a product like 3e there are some variables so you've got your core product which is doing what it does in terms of core business logic and then there's the business logic that you want to apply as part of your implementation so you might have different types of behavior different types of checks that are happening as you're navigating through a workflow for example which are going to be unique to you and to your firm and the decisions that you make So that business logic layer is something that is specific to you that has not been tested. You can't guarantee that that's not going to have an impact on performance until you've tested that. And then the other piece is data, right? Because the the data, not just from a volume perspective, which obviously can influence performance, but just the way that you interact with the data, the type of data that you've got, whether you're a low value, high volume business, you have lots and lots of small transactions happening, can have an impact on the way that the system performs. And equally the opposite, where you've got very high value, small number of transactions can also have different impacts in different areas of 3E. So it's really important to consider those factors when you're thinking about 3E performance generally. Okay, understood. So you mentioned infrastructure earlier as one of the points to consider. So as a firm, if I followed the PSR, right, and I've bought even better hardware, you know, why do I then need to still go ahead and do a performance test? Or should I not be covered at that point? That's a great question. So the PSR or the product system requirements really define 
the ideal hardware that you need to be able to run the three system and typically when you're scoping out um, the hardware that you you eventually implement there'll be some room for growth right so there'll be some consideration about how your database will grow over time how the number of users might grow over time so that you're really kind of future proofing the, the system as much as possible if we go back to like the first question that you asked which was around the different aspects of three performance that need to be considered Ultimately, every customer's implementation of the product is going to be slightly different. So when you think about purely from an infrastructure and hardware perspective, the decisions you make about which load balancer you choose, whether that be a Citrix Netscaler or a Coyote load balancer or something else, ultimately, there's going to be different versions of firmware that you're going to be deployed with. Your network layer is going to be slightly different. The way your end users interact with 3E across the WAN might be different or over a VPN might be different. Different. Your group policies that you apply to your PCs are going to be different. Your underlying storage infrastructure is probably going to be different or have some variation, different vendors, different tools and utilities will sit on top of those layers that will have an influence. There's the virtualization side of things. So you may be a virtual shop, you may be a physical shop. Uh, all of those things play a part. It would be impossible to test every single variation of hardware and configuration that a, that a firm puts in place in order to validate that performance is going to be optimum in that environment. So really the PSR is there as a guide to define what is best practice in terms of scoping out a system. But ultimately, until you add your specifics onto the mix, you really don't know until you turn on the system and you, and you add load to the system to how well it's going to perform and how each of those elements will perform or need to be tuned um, to be able to give the best and optimal performance. The other thing is, is you could have the best hardware in the world but if your business logic that's sitting on top of it or the customizations are poorly written or haven't been written uh, with you know in consideration of performance then realistically speaking you may not know the impact of that until you actually have everybody in the system and that's really where you kind of add an unnecessary risk really if you kind of think about that ahead of time uh, as part of the implementation do some automated testing to be able to enable you to see what the impact of all of the load with your configuration, with your data, with your customizations in place really has on the environment. That gives you an opportunity to tune, optimize, and then obviously once you go live, have real confidence the system's going to hold up, right? And I think that's really important. Yeah, and I think I think there's some really valid points that you raised there because sometimes, you know, I've, I've spoken to firms where they've said, oh, I follow the PSR down to a T. I've got the Ferrari of all um, infrastructure setups. You know, we've considered future growth, but actually, you know, you need to think a little bit beyond that. When we focus on the 3E aspect of it then, when you are in the process of implementing it, but you actually don't have very many customizations, do you still need to worry about performance at that point if you know you're going to go with pretty much the blueprint or the vanilla system? How does that fit into it? If you think about it uh, in terms of like risk levels, the level of risk goes down, the less complicated you make it. So I think having no or little customization is a good thing for an implementation because ultimately you, you limit the exposure in terms of particularly that custom layer that typically gets added to add additional business logic, right? So if you remove that element, then that definitely kind of de-risks it a little bit. It still comes back down to the same thing in that your data is still your data. The way that you use 3E in terms of the way that you configure 3E will have an impact in terms of how well it performs. And you can still make lots of decisions without customization and more configuration that can also influence how 3E performs, right? So little things like how many rows you configure 
3E to return as a maximum default in terms of its reporting engine, right? You have the ability as part of just a standard product to be able to set that at firm level so that you can set it to be whatever you want it to be beyond like what the default that comes out of the box with 3E. Just a simple change like that could change the amount of load that's being executed on the system quite dramatically. And it could be a valid business reason to implement that change. But ultimately, you would not know until all of the systems being used concurrently, all of the processes are being used concurrently in order for you to really understand the impact. If you think about configuration just generally, it's really the same from like a workflow perspective. So a lot of firms that we work with at the moment leverage the great functionality that's available out of the box. So technically, it's not a customization. It's really a configuration of 3E. A workflow is designed to basically have multiple layers which can differ from firm to firm and have different routing criteria, which is basically business logic that you're defining within the user experience to, to enable you to kind of you know get through the workflow. Lots of other things that can happen as a result of that, like notifications that get fired off and other actions that can be fired off as part of the journey. So obviously, depending on how you implement those and, and how complex you make those workflows, technically you're still technically a zero customization firm but you have lots of layers of logic that you've applied which until again you have 200 300 people on your system doing the same thing at the same time you're not going to know what the real impact of performance is so my take is that there's still validity in terms of you know doing as much testing in advance um, when it comes to a more vanilla system um, because ultimately you're testing those aspects of so the configuration aspects of it you're also testing the data aspects of it and probably the most important piece is the variety of underlying hardware that's going to be in place, right, which probably does need to be tuned or tailored to, to kind of get the best performance. So on the flip side, if I have lots of customizations, of course, there's a bit more complexity in running a performance test. But does that then mean I've got to spend a hell of a lot more money and time to test every customization that's in that? That's a great question, Kieran. The short answer is no. And let me explain why the types of customizations that are typically happening, they obviously vary in terms of performance impact in particular. For example, if you've got a customization, which is basically simple changes to a form, or even in some cases, simple business logic that's been applied to a form to do some level of validation. Typically, what we would do as part of a performance testing exercise is determine which customizations are a bit of a deviation from what we would consider to be a low impact customization from a performance perspective. Realistically speaking, you're only really wanting to do a performance test in a way where you get your best bang for buck, which to me is doing your core business processes that really come into play at month end, year end, where you've got the most people on your system, putting as many time entries in as possible, getting as many bills out of the door as possible, um, because that's really where the heavy hitting happens from a systems perspective. So putting that into the context from a testing perspective is important because if you focus on the things that are really going to make an impact, You've done some customizations. We had a customer recently who made a customization to the collections module where they were allowing some bulk collection updates to happen from the UI. Now, that kind of scenario would get flagged as part of a performance testing exercise for us because we would want to make sure that we've considered that in terms of the impact. If somebody tries to bulk update 100 collection items at the same time, um, what is the net effect of that on the system, right? And does it cause a problem? So those kind of things would be highlighted as part of a discovery process to minimize the amount of, of investment you need to make in a performance testing suite that still get the best bang for buck and give you the reassurance that you need when you throw a significant load at the system that the system can stand up and hold up well and, and still provide a good user experience. 
I think that's great because when we think about a project where we're implementing 3E or even upgrading, right, uh, there's a tight budget that's in place often within a lot of firms. So I think there's a lot of concern that comes around extra costs around these areas that we may not consider to be a necessity, but obviously they quite clearly are. Um, so I think you've, you've done quite well to kind of answer that in terms of the value you get. So it sounds like actually within a performance test, there's quite a lot of things to consider and quite a lot of steps involved. So if I've left it quite late and haven't considered performance testing until someone's brought it to my attention, perhaps, you know, and maybe I'm going live next month, you know, what do I do then? That's a very valid scenario and something that we faced um, a few times with customers that have, have left it a little late in the game. My recommendation is to be thinking about performance and performance testing at the start of the project so that it can be planned accordingly, because really you want to make sure you've got time to assess what needs to be tested from your unique perspective and make sure that it's a good, robust test, right? But there are ways to be able to still validate performance, particularly focusing on like infrastructure performance using some of the standard tooling that's available. For example, in that kind of scenario where, you know, you've got a very short time window, my recommendation would be to leverage an out-of-the-box testing library that, for example, we have in our suite, which basically mimics a typical month-end load using the standard processes in 3E. Part of our standard automation suite will cover things like bulk time entries all the way through to, you know, bills getting generated, the, the print outputs going through a template, a defined template. You still need a bit of time to basically set up monitoring the system and then automating the load. But from like an overall timeline perspective, it's much shorter because we're kind of using a, a tried and tested library of automated tests that really just need to be in configured for your volume. Um, and then executed, and then obviously the environment monitored and, and recommendations made. Nobody really knows what the impact of adding load to the system for the number of users that you're going to be using concurrently is really going to have on the system until you do it. The biggest thing to consider in that kind of scenario where you've got a short window of opportunity is the testing part of it is relatively straightforward and can be done in a short time frame. However, the resolution phase is something that you also need to consider because after we've executed the test and we're monitoring the system, we look at some of the performance bottlenecks, we find some significant issues, for example, in template logic, which is causing some of the slowness in the bills being generated and outputted, then that requires some developer time to go and resolve. And then that needs to go through a change control process. Somebody needs to test the outcome of that. And then ideally, you want to repeat the test to make sure that the problem has been solved. Equally, if there was something found on the infrastructure side of things, for example, your antivirus AV is causing performance overhead, then being able to diagnose that can take some time, right? And you've got to consider that as part of the resolution phase before you can then validate that actually you've solved the problem so, so that you can then go live with confidence. So that's the only consideration I would kind of put on the table is that the core testing element with a tried and tested suite is relatively straightforward, is short time frame what the outcome of that is also needs to be considered, right? Because it could be a very simple, yes, a tick box exercise to say, yep, the system performs well, or, and more likely it's going to be, yes, the system performed, but there are some areas of improvement and these are the areas of improvement that need to be implemented. And then it's really around how quickly that can get through a change control process and how quickly resources can be brought in to fix those problems or fix code. Or in some cases, it could be a core product issue, right? So get a solution from Thomson Reuters in that case. So all of those things need to be considered alongside it. Okay, great. So basically what you're saying is if you can factor in performance testing at the beginning of a project, brilliant, please do it. But 
it's never too late. So if you do leave it till the sort of um, 11th hour, you're absolutely fine. You can still do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. So then that kind of brings me on to once you have gone live, is it is it too late then? Or what if you have gone live and you haven't done a performance test, but then all of a sudden you notice some slowness in the system? You know, what do you do then? Is it too late then? How, how does that go? So yes, it's too late because ultimately now your end users are, are suffering as a result of it, right? And mm. potentially some of your core business processes are slow as a result of it because ultimately like the biggest impact of a slow system or a system that's intermittently slow is that it has you know knock-on impacts in terms of end user confidence in the system, frustration in terms of how productive they can be um, using the system. And ultimately, especially so close after a go live and switching over from an old system, what you've got to remember is there is a perception thing to consider as well, where you've got people who may have been going through, for example, a performer generation process in their old system, and they're so used to doing it in the old system that it's so intuitive to them that they can just kind of you know, bang it out in a few minutes versus in the new system, they're still getting comfortable with the fact that, you know, they have to navigate the screen slightly differently. It's not as intuitive to them just because they're not used to it. And then if you throw on top of that, that the system is slow and not responsive or intermittently hanging for them, that's going to cause a lot of frustration, right? And ultimately impact productivity. If you are in that situation, it's really about making sure that you understand where the slowness is coming from. Um, it does become a bit more difficult and painful to kind of troubleshoot because change control becomes a lot harder because obviously you just can't take elements of the system down to be able to replace or configure or reconfigure aspects of it. So you've got to be a lot more careful about change. Really, the kind of steps to get there are, you know, monitor, but like put monitoring in place. If you don't have monitoring in place, make sure that all of the aspects of the system are being monitored so that you can hone in on where the slowness is so that you can kind of go into that diagnosis phase and really understand and debug, you know, where specifically the issue could be, whether that be database level in your core underlying infrastructure or within the three application on your WAPI servers, within your template generation, like really hone in on where those problems are. Then once you know or have narrowed down the scope of the investigation, then being able to produce a fix, and that could be a database setting that needs to be tuned for parallelism, for example, or it could be a code fix, like I mentioned before, or it could be a, a service pack that needs to be applied. Um, lots of different variations in terms of what that fix could look like. But ultimately, it's making sure that you've got a window of opportunity to apply that fix in a controlled manner, not bypassing any change control processes, because ultimately everything needs to be tested and before it gets rolled out to your production system. Um, and then to continue monitoring, right? Because once that fix has been deployed, you want to make sure that you're continuously monitoring the system for those bottlenecks so that you can continue to see if there are other areas of opportunity because the likelihood is once you've fixed one thing, you may have other opportunities to perform some kind of performance tuning exercise in various areas to further the optimum nature of, of what you eventually want to get to, which is a really smooth running 3E system. Okay, so throughout this conversation, you know, we've really focused on performance testing and what it means and how it's done. So when we focus on the users, because ultimately you want to do a performance test to ensure that the user go live on day one as smoothly and happily as possible. So I kind of want to hone in on that specifically. So how can we really be confident that 3E will perform when everyone is on the system? Like, how do you achieve that? So I think the key to success there is to perform a performance test, like an automated performance test. The best possible scenario is that you've got a test suite that's built using tried and tested methods to be able to exercise the system 
to the active concurrent user count that you're going to you're ultimately going to have when you go live at the peak timings like month end like year end combine that with your usage right so your usage pattern so the types of things that you might be doing that are different to another firm for example or where you've got high volume transactions in certain areas mimicking those where you can kind of use history to dictate how your test suite looks so that volume information in terms of how many time cards do you typically generate throughout the day what's the frequency of it like try and get it as close as possible to what you're going to do in the real world Likewise, with integrations for downstream and upstream systems, making sure that all of those things are in place during your tests so that you understand what that's going to look like, as well as any scheduled jobs that could be happening in the background, any reporting solutions that might be hitting the three database or any third party systems that might be hitting the three database at the same time, like making sure all of those things are in place and active while a controlled performance test is happening. And really the key is, is that if you mimic the load well enough and close enough to what the reality might look like, and you, you're never going to get it perfect, but get it close as possible to, to what the real world might look like. If you combine that with the right level of monitoring, so you're monitoring each layer of 3E, your infrastructure, the database, all of the different aspects that come into play, then you can have real confidence that when you hit the switch to go live and everybody's on the system, that it's going to stand up, right? Because you will have highlighted most of the issues prior to going live, but just by exercising the system, right, in that controlled manner and, and watching the impacts of that. So before we finish up, is there any other performance tips that you can share with us? Yes, I do have a, a few that I can share with you. So the first one I would say is always consider the impact of network performance, right? A lot of the times, you know, we've been talking to customers where they complain about performance, right? And they say that the 3E system is slow. And actually, when we dive into the details, we kind of look at it in different ways. The starting point would be, okay, is the application actually slow? And there's simple steps that you take to diagnose that a little bit further. So for example, if when you run your browser from your workstation, you're experiencing a level of performance, what we really want to assess is do you get the same performance in different scenarios? So first step would be rule out the load balancer, right? Adding any overheads. So you basically, instead of going via the load balancer URL, you would go directly to a single WAPI URL, right? And see if you get the same kind of performance. Always use a stop clock to kind of measure the timings of certain key processes so you can be consistent in terms of how you're benchmarking and how you're testing. Then take that one step further. So if you see the same kind of performance in the WAPI server directly, then another test I would do is go onto the WAPI server itself. So you're kind of ruling out any connectivity between a client workstation and the server itself. Open a browser on there, do exactly the same test and see if you get similar kind of performance so that then you're kind of ruling out quite a few things actually. Group policies that could be applied to the local workstation, local AV impacts, right? Because that can also have an impact plus browser settings that could be controlled by group policy. All of those kind of things come into play so you can start to hone in on where your issue might be. But one of the really useful tools just from a general WAN performance perspective that I find really useful is Google Chrome and the developer tools that come with it. If you open up 3E and you hit the F12 key on your keyboard, what it will give you is the developer tools that are available within your browser. And if you take a look at that and go to the network tab, what you can actually see there is a breakdown of all of the communication that's happening between the application that you're running in that tab and the server that it's kind of talking to. 
So what that gives you is a really good view of all kind of layers of communication that are happening, what's being sent to the server, what's being received from the server. And what it gives you is a nice graphical view of how long each of those elements take, right? So that you can really see what aspects of it is taking the most amount of time. One of the cool things about it is that you can then open up one of your processes that are taking a long time and use that as your starting point for diagnosis, right? So first step is that, is it me? Like, is it my workstation communicating with the server that's causing the slowness? Or is it something that's happening with 3E? So there's really two things to explore further. One is enable 3E logging, right? So you can go into the users and roles process in 3E, enable logging there so that you can actually go and look at the SQL output and look at the calls that are being made from a pure 3E perspective and see how long that's taking, right? Because ultimately the time that that takes is one aspect of the journey and probably the bulk of the aspect. And then obviously that data needs to be transmitted back and forth between the workstation and the server. So once you understand how long the 3E component is taking just to go and grab the data and do its business logic, you kind of have a number in mind, that number versus the latency number that it takes to kind of transmit that data across. You can use the network tab in Google Chrome to actually get an output of what the traffic transfer looks like between your workstation and the server. You can then actually save that output um, into what's known as a HAR file, which is basically a HTTP archive. And one of the great things that Google has done is they've created a tool called the Google Heart Analyzer, which is available online, free to use, um, which helps you debug these kind of scenarios. So what you can do is upload your Heart file and run it through the analyzer. And what it does really nicely is break down all of the wait times for you. So you can kind of see how much of it is waiting for a packet to be received from the server versus your browser waiting for something to happen from a server-side perspective. So what I typically look for in those kind of scenarios is if you see something with a very high receive time, that usually indicates that there's a little bit of slowness in terms of data coming back from the server because the server's already done what it needs to do. But there's a there's kind of a delay in it getting back to you from a browser perspective versus high wait times, where if you see a high wait time, then typically your browser is just waiting for the server to bring something back to you, right? Which in, in that case, I would spend more time looking at the 3E logs to go and diagnose that a little bit further. So that's one area. The other big area is around the SQL Server itself. So the SQL Server probably accounts for you know, 80, 90% of the performance tuning exercises that we do for customers, because that's usually where, where you can get a lot of improvement. So on the SQL side, it's really about making sure that you understand your workload on a regular basis. So once you're live on 3E, and this kind of activity is most useful once you've gone live, that's really when you're going to get the real usage of what the system looks like. It's really important to be regularly monitoring the SQL workload. That can really highlight some good opportunities for things like index tuning and potentially other areas that are contributing to bad performance and things like locking and blocking that could be happening in the background. So there are some really good SQL DMVs which you can use which are basically like the system views that allow you to kind of look at statistics relating to some of the queries that have been executed on your SQL server. So a couple that kind of spring to mind are your OS weight stats. So DM underscore OS underscore weight underscore stats. And um, if you look at that DMV, that's going to give you a good indication as to what your top weights are across the system from a SQL Server perspective, and then allow you to kind of diagnose those a little bit further. And then on the query side of things, one of the go-to DMVs there is called the DM underscore exec underscore query underscore stats, which basically allows you to see 
top queries by various different types. So you can see, you know, top queries by CPU, disk, memory, um, and go and understand really what the impact of those queries are across the system. So that's a really good way of being able to see your queries that could be tuned, for example. So if you see one at the top of the list that's really high on the CPU side of things, that could indicate some issues with your thresholds for leveraging parallelism, for example. Um, it could indicate that it's just a badly written query that could be tuned, and there could be lots of other different reasons, but it gives you a starting point for being able to then diagnose further what that issue might be, and looking out for things like blocked processes, enabling deadlock monitoring in the background. So SQL Server has some really nice tools and configurations that you can enable now um, that are pretty lightweight that allow you to look for and alert based on thresholds being met for deadlocked processes, right? So if something's been locked for 20 seconds, for example, you can then configure SQL Server to fire an alert to let you know that something you know, major is happening on the system that you may need to go and have a look at. So that's the other big area. SQL is, is really somewhere where you should be spending a lot of time doing ongoing monitoring and the final thing I would mention is just antivirus. So antivirus often is a painful overhead, depending on how you've got it configured. That can have an overhead that really does contribute to performance in, in a negative way. So it's really important to make sure that you understand, firstly, where your AV lives, because obviously you're going to have different types of AV for workstation all the way through to your server side um, and potentially network as well. So making sure that you understand what AV is in place, what is actively being scanned, so real-time scanning or on-access scanning. Those are the things to kind of watch out for because they're the ones that have the, the biggest impact. And it's really making sure you've got the right balance of security versus performance because you don't want to turn off AV, but you want to have it on protecting your system, but not the interfering with performance. Microsoft has some great best practice guides out there, which basically cover some of the best practices around SQL Server configuration for typical AV solutions, which is really focused around active scanning for things like your log files, your database files, some of the other aspects of the environment. And then when you think about the WAPI servers from an IIS perspective, there are certain folders there that should be excluded from real-time scanning to enable you to get best performance. And also from a funk perspective, because some of the stuff that happens within 3E, a lot of the writes that we do and the reads that we do from a, a document creation perspective will be happening on the funk. So it's making sure that those folders are excluded from real-time scanning. Um, and still, you know, doing regular scans to make sure that there's no viruses or any issues there. It's really the, the kind of on access and real time scanning that you, you want to limit as much as possible to ensure the best possible performance of your system. Wow, thank you for those. When I asked if there was any other performance tips you could share, I didn't realize there was still so much more that we could discuss. So that's, that's really useful. And thanks for bringing so much knowledge and, and advice to this session. I think we've really been able to break down some of these preconceptions when it comes to performance testing. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Great talking to you. Thank you for listening. We hope everybody enjoyed the podcast and we'll see you in two weeks. Have a great day.